We have reached a turning point now in the book of Acts. Uh, the focus has been on the Jewish church uh, up until this point, and it's now going to be turning to the Gentile church. Uh, there is a difference between the two. The, the Jewish church had many laws and rules, and, and uh, it was different than the Gentile church. As a matter of fact, the Jews were so used to doing things their way, their, their religious way, that when they um, became the church, they were getting saved, they still hung on to a lot of what they had before, the things that they knew before. Uh, some of it wasn't bad. It's okay to, um, to believe the Ten Commandments and follow them. Uh, so uh, that's a good standard, a good starting point uh, for Christians. But we know that it's not about obeying laws. It's about the grace of Jesus Christ that has saved us. And we naturally follow Laws were naturally obedient to the Word of God naturally because we want to be. We want to understand the, um, the, the things that God holds important to Him. And so by pleasing Him, uh, it's not that we're working our way to heaven. Folks, we can't. If any of you are working your way to heaven, stop. Stop right now. Okay, because it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. You may feel like you're doing good with that, but that's not how it works. So the church is now changing, and there's now this Gentile church. There's something that the Jews didn't really understand. They didn't expect it. They thought everyone was going to become a Jew first, and then they could be part of the church. But that's not what's going to actually take place. So here, the, the center of the Jewish church is still Jerusalem. They're still there in Jerusalem. The apostles are there in Jerusalem, still leading people to Christ. But there's this new center that's out here in Antioch. And it, it was in um, Syria at the time, but now it's part of Turkey, and it's um, a Gentile uh, environment. Back then, the Romans, it was a Roman colony, and the Romans had uh, control of that. So there wasn't a lot of difference between uh, the Roman occupation of Jerusalem and the Roman occupation uh, of Antioch. Uh, so here the church is now forming, and people are coming from all over the place. I'm, I hope that's not my mic. It is my, it is my mic, isn't it? Uh, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll live with it, if you can. Okay. Um, so Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, there's a difference in um, his ministry uh, because he knew he was called to the Gentiles because Jesus told him he was. And he was sent out uh, to do that work. And he is now going to go out and visit um, many of the surrounding cities and as a missionary, as an evangelist, teaching them the word of God. Today's message is titled, The Work 
of God. And we resume our study through the book of Acts with chapter 13. We're going to pick it up in verse 1, where it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so here are these five names that are given to us of those that are teachers and prophets or, and or prophets that are there in the church in Antioch. That's a, a list of people that is very unusual. They aren't all Jews that became Christians that do things the same way. They're different from different areas and they um, are still the church. They're in unity together. This is the way God was working. He was bringing people from different avenues, different areas, like the Ethiopian eunuch that was stopped on the road to hear about Jesus and, and then he went back to Ethiopia to, to share the good news about what God was doing uh, through Jesus. So first we see this list. Barnabas, we know. He was the disciple who is known for his encouragement. He encourages uh, everyone that is in the church that's struggling or that is uh, having a problem getting plugged into the church, like Saul, who then went back to Jerusalem and he was having a trouble connecting with the apostles. And Barnabas came and said, no, 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 he's a brother. I've seen the work that he's doing. He's a brother. Bring him in. And he was the one that was encouraging people. Do you have the gift of encouragement? It's something all of us, I apologize. Well, they can't do anything about it. It's my mic. I apologize for those of you online. You can lower your volume a little bit. Yeah, go ahead and bring it. Do you know which one that is? So, Barnabas was one that, all of us can be like Barnabas. All of us. We can encourage people. We don't have to work at encouraging people. You know the words that you can say. You know the words that you can say to encourage people. There are different ways to encourage people. You can encourage them when they're struggling in um, their job, their relationships with their family members. You know what to say. You know how to say it. And you can encourage them. You can encourage people that have lost loved ones that are hurting from the pain of the loss, you can come alongside and encourage them. 
There's many different ways to encourage people. All you have to do is start by listening. And I believe Barnabas was a good listener. He heard what people were struggling with and then he was able to go and encourage them. The next person is Simeon who was called Niger. He was probably African by birth. Niger probably from the Nigerian region of Africa. Niger means black. He was probably African American. He was probably dark skinned and uh, African American, right? Um, there was no America at the time. So uh, he was probably black. And here he was, a Jew that was, a, do you know who Simeon is? He was probably the man who carried Jesus' cross up the Via de la Rosa to Golgotha, to Calvary. He was probably the one that the Romans called on and said, take this cross and carry it. And he did. That may have been enough to convince him of who Jesus is. And so he became a follower of Jesus. And now we find him in Antioch. Lucius of Cyrene was probably one of those that were the first ones that came to Antioch that we read about in Acts chapter 11 verse 20 that came from there to Antioch to minister to the Hellenists that were there in Antioch. And he was probably one of those few that came from there. Manaean, it says, was raised with Herod the Tetrarch. So who is Herod the Tetrarch? Well, that was the same Herod that put John the Baptist to death. And the same Herod that was over the trial of Jesus. So who is this Menaean? Never heard of him before. But there's a good chance that he was of noble blood also. That he was maybe not royalty, but of noble blood because it says he was raised with Herod. Herod wasn't hanging out with the gangsters. You know, so it was probably someone that was in that group that he was raised up with. And that shows us that this man left his life to be a Christian. To leave behind that noble living, just like Moses did, right? Moses was raised up with Pharaoh's family, and he left that life of royalty to go on and lead his people out of Egypt. That probably wasn't the best life. As a matter of fact, if you read all of Moses' life, he didn't have everything that probably most people think that Christians should have. You know, when um, we look at people that have everything, uh, we can sometimes envy, sometimes covet, saying, how come they, I'm, I'm a good Christian. I live a good life. I'm, I'm, you know, a good person. How come they get it all? And uh, number 10, thou shalt not covet. <laughs> I, I, I just want to steer you back there because 
of the fact that covening, it only hurts us, really. It doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't get you anything. And it just makes you, you know, want more, desire more. And it's hard not to covet because there's things called commercials. And they're everywhere. They draw our attention to things that we probably don't need. So here's this Menaean. He comes from nobility of some sort. And now he's part of this group. And then Saul is listed last. And, and we know Saul's pedigree. We know that he was a Pharisee. He was Sanhedrin. So he was the elite in the Jewish religion. He was an elite Jew. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He even said that himself. But he was also part of this group that were just a bunch of guys ministering together. It says in verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they were fasting. They were praying. They were ministering to the Lord. It's important for us to see that these prophets and teachers were putting the Lord First, You see, they weren't ministering to the church. And quite often people think that that's what ministers, pastors, teachers are supposed to be doing, is ministering to the church. But it's not about the church. If I'm ministering to the church before I'm ministering to the Lord, things are out of order. I've got to minister to the Lord first. And in doing that, I'm ministering to the church. The church is being fed. The church is having their needs met by the Lord because that's where my focus is. Folks, that's for all of us. If you're married and you have a relationship with your wife, and your focus is on your wife, on your husband, if that's where your focus is, you're going to have problems. Because you're going to see the failures of your spouse. They're going to stand out. If you pay attention, if you're not married and you pay attention to other Christians and you watch them carefully, you're going to be disappointed because none of us are perfect. Oh, we will be one day, but we're not perfect right now. There was only one that was perfect and that was Jesus. And so when we focus on other people we're going to be disappointed. But Jesus, he tells us we're supposed to be focused on him, on the Lord. And we're supposed to allow the Holy Spirit to have the work in our lives. That's a struggle to do that. We have to be sensitive. We have to be listening for the Holy Spirit. That's what they were doing. You see, they were praying and fasting, looking 
for what the Holy Spirit would have to say to them. And they don't need 10 people to come to them with different words from the Holy Spirit. You see, that, that happens a lot nowadays where you have one person that calls himself a prophet and they come and they have one word and then another person that calls himself a prophet and they have a different word and then another person and they have a different word and the Holy Spirit doesn't have different words for different people that contradict each other. The Holy Spirit is going to be in order and he's going to speak to us directly and it's going to make sense. The Holy Spirit's not going to tell you one day, sell everything you have and go to you know, Nigeria and go minister to the people in Nigeria. Oh, maybe he will. I don't know. But if you're just listening to one person tell you, oh, the Holy Spirit told me you're supposed to give me $10,000. You know, really? I need some confirmation. Okay? Show me where there's confirmation. Show me where, if you don't feel led to give that. Now, if God put it on your heart to give someone $10,000 and they come and say, the Holy Spirit said that you're going to give me $10,000. Then you can say, that's confirmation. That, you know, the Holy Spirit told me the same thing. When Cheryl and I, years ago, were going to move to Colorado Springs, Colorado, we actually um, had a check written out to the real estate agent uh, to buy this beautiful home in a place called Briargate. And we went there to meet with the real estate agent. We were moving from San Diego to Colorado Springs. And we got there, we picked out the home, we waited for the real estate agent to come and take our check. And the real estate agent did not show up. Can you imagine? And we were sad. It was, it, it was gonna have this beautiful view of Pikes Peak right out the back window, unobstructed, view of Pikes Peak and we thought this is just heaven you know this is really where God wants us we're going to minister here you know and we go to dinner and Cheryl's not talking and um, we we go sit down at dinner and I'm looking up she's not talking to me and and I'm like okay what did I do <laughs> you know and she said you didn't do anything. She said, the Lord told me that we're not moving here. And I, now this was her heart's desire to move to Colorado Springs. You know, we had already been up to focus on the family. She was looking at getting a job there and so on and so, and, and she said, no, he doesn't want us to move here. And I said, praise the Lord, because he told me yesterday that we're not moving here, and I said, you tell her. <laughs> so, it all worked out. We were so elated, not because we weren't moving to Colorado Springs, but because of the fact that God spoke to both of us 
and told us what he wanted us to know. We checked out of the hotel. We went to the Grand Canyon, spent a couple of days there, went back to San Diego, remodeled our home with all that extra money. And, and we were like, praise the Lord. Six months later, God said, now I want you to move to Arizona. Uh, and, and we're here. But it's the fact that when God is going to speak to someone through the Holy Spirit, there's going to be confirmation. And that's what was going on there. I believe that they were praying and fasting for, Lord, show us what you want us to do. And then they said, you know, this is what the Lord wants. The prophets told Barnabas and Saul, you're set aside to go do this ministry. You notice that Saul and Barnabas didn't say, hey, you know what? We feel like going and taking this trip. Can you give us some cash so that we can go out and do this ministry? That's how a lot of churches do ministry today. They wait for someone to come to them and say, you know, hey, um, you know, we feel called by the Lord to go do this. Oh, you do? Okay. Uh, that's great. Let's pray about it and let's see if that's where the Lord sends you. Okay, we need money. You know, and sometimes they're looking for support before they're looking to the Lord and how the ministry is going to be done. We need to know that it's the Lord sending us wherever he wants us to go before we step out. We prayed about this place for two and a half years before we came up here and planted this church. The Lord said, what took you so long? Because he wanted me to go a lot sooner. But I was like, oh, hold on, Lord. You know, maybe that's not it. And, and then... I heard clearly, no, that's where you're going. So we're here now, a uh, little late in the game, but it's okay. So here, David put it this way in Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Oh, doesn't that sound so Desires of your heart, whatever your heart desires, he's going to give you whatever it is, just desire... Not what it means. You see, it starts with delighting yourself in the Lord. When you put the Lord first in your lives and you delight in his will, then he puts his desires in your heart. And then you go out and do what he desires and it's amazing. You're happy. He's happy. Everything is just perfect. We know Paul's ministry, he, he never had trouble in his ministry. Everything was perfect all the time. No, but he was in the center of the will of God. And so when Paul went out and did what God wanted him to do, the impact was amazing the people that were getting saved, the numbers of people that were coming to, 
to hear the truth. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't because Paul even said, hey, I'm not a great orator. You know, there's nothing special about me. You know, it's not that, you know, I have all of this knowledge and wisdom that he said, I'm just preaching the gospel and people are getting saved. And that's the same attitude that we need to have while we're doing this. The next verse says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. You see, and that's why if we delight in him and we commit our way to him, trust in him, then he, he shall bring it to pass. Not us. Quite often we think that we, okay, Lord, I've got it from here. You know, I, I, I'm, I figured this out now. So I'm going to run with this. You know, and then halfway down the road, we're like, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, because we're, we're driving ourselves right over a cliff. These disciples were doing what the Holy Spirit was leading them to do because they were faithful to the Lord to do it. And he was telling them what to do. They were content and fulfilled. Verse 3 continues... Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. Fasting and prayer again. Even after they fasted and prayed and heard from the Lord, now they fasted and prayed even more. And, and fasting is a way to deprive ourselves so that we can pray for the will of God. Quite often fasting, you know, gets a little confusing and muddled, you know, oh, I've got a colonoscopy, I think I'll fast for the Lord. Yeah, that's not fasting for the Lord. Okay, fasting from the Lord is depriving ourselves of something and Generally, we see it to be food most of the time, but it can be other things too. But when we fast, we replace the time of fasting uh, or the time that we spent doing those other things in prayer. And then we listen for the Lord. And that's what they were doing. They were listening for the Holy Spirit to hear what the Holy Spirit was going to tell them to do. The Holy Spirit had a plan and they wanted to know what it was. And so they fasted and prayed until they heard from him. Quite often people want to hear from God, but they don't want to put any effort into it. Like fasting. Uh, I, you know, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. Okay, well, listen. You know, qu quite often, you know, people are looking at their phones. Speak to me, Lord. Speak, like like he's going to send you a text. You know, it's the fact that we have got to fast so that we can hear. We can listen and hear the still small voice. Most Christians want the results of fasting with actually outputting the work into fasting. They just want the results. I want, I want, I want, I want. Verse 4 so being sent 
out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and then from there they sailed over to Cyprus, and they arrived in Salamis, and they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So they take this trip, they're journeying through these places, they're evangelizing along the way, and then they get to the point where there's a synagogue there, and they went in and preached the word. Why did they go there? Because that's what they're used to. That's what they know. They know the people that are in the synagogue. They know what kind of people they are that go to synagogue. And so they're able to go in and relate to them. Oh, this is Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was one of the Sanhedrin. You know, this man has all that you would expect a top-of-the-line, you know, Jewish ruler to have. He had all of that notoriety. And when he went there, they, prob they may have even have heard of him. Oh yeah, I heard about you. You're the guy who was out there killing the Christians, and now you're one of them. You know, so here he is preaching to them. When they got sent out, they were going where the Holy Spirit was leading them. And who was providing for them? God. Don't know how. We don't give, we, some, a lot of times the Bible doesn't give us details about things that we shouldn't worry about. When we came up here to plant the church, you know, we knew where we were going. We, I, we had this church plant team we had been working with. I had been working with this church plant team for about 14 years. It was my wife and daughter. <laughs> and so we got up here and it's like, well, I got two. And... and you know, God did the rest. So I didn't know what was going to happen from day one to day two. We just said, all right, whatever God does, that's what he does. And he's done some amazing work. I'm always, uh, I, I shouldn't say, I'm always surprised. Not anymore. At first, the first six months I was surprised. I was surprised people actually came to hear the word of God through me. You know, and, you know, now I know it's not me, it's the Lord. People want to hear from God. And so I give him the glory for all of it. We're told that John Mark was also with them. John, the John listed there is John Mark, who was, you know, he was 12 or 13 about the time that Jesus was arrested in the garden. And... Now he's probably in his early 20s. And he's with them as an assistant uh, going out with them on this missionary journey. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. And so here, they're going to this area. They come into this community and there's 
this guy named Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. Now, don't get caught up on that. It's The name Jesus was common enough that uh, his father may have been named Jesus. So um, it, it wasn't uh, specifically uh, a comment against Jesus, but he was a Jew. And he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. And this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, going back to verse 6, where it said when they had gone through the island, they found a certain sorcerer. Okay, they weren't looking for a certain sorcerer, right? They weren't there, hey, let's go to this place and see if we can find a certain sorcerer. But they found one. And I think that really he found them. Because he didn't want them to meet Sergius Paulus. Back in those days, they were superstitious. They surrounded the leaders, would surround themselves with people who were wise. Uh, or at least they claimed to be wise. And they had to prove it in one way or in the other. But this guy was a sorcerer. So he had some demonic wisdom. But he didn't want Barnabas and Saul to meet Sergius Paulus. Because they may actually tell him the truth. And Sergius Paulus may figure out that Elimus, this sorcerer, this liar, um, that he wasn't real after all. And so it says in verse 8, but Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So they, he didn't want them to speak to um, Sergius Paulus. And he wanted to turn them away from the faith. And does that tell you that this man probably has some spiritual insight? He probably was fully aware of who Saul and Barnabas were. And so he, he knew that the power of Jesus Christ through these two servants of the living God was going to be enough to turn an intelligent man to believe the truth. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Lord? You know, that was such a loving, loving um, way to call someone out. You know, it, it's, you know, we're supposed to show love. And uh, Paul was a hater. No, he wasn't. He hated the enemy. He hated sin. And he hated liars. And Elimus was a liar. And so he's calling him out. He's saying, you're not a son of righteousness. You're, you're a liar. You're evil. 
and you're perverting the straight ways of the Lord. And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And so, this was an instrument of the enemy. Folks, how come we don't see demons and demons being cast out and stuff like that anymore? We do. They're in the news. They're shooting up schools, parades. They're murdering people in their homes on the streets, put, pushing people down escalators, and we see it all the time in the news. These people, are, they, they don't just have a chemical imbalance, they have a spiritual imbalance. And, and so quite often we attribute evil, we attribute the, the, the work of the enemy to sickness to people who uh, are just have some sort of oh, well if you go back to your past then you'll figure out why you are the person you are today because in the past remember when your mother spanked you with the spoon that you know, I still have the splinter from it. And every time I sit down, I, I remember that. And it just ruins my whole day. And, and I, you know, I see crazier stuff on TV than that. You know, we're told to have counsel. We're told to bring people in to be our counsel, to help us when we're looking for good counsel. But the good counsel has to come from godly people. If you're looking for, hey, you know what, Elon Musk, he's a smart guy, you know, got lots of money, lots of kids, he has lots of, you know, Obviously, he didn't figure that part out, uh, but because he has three wives and nine kids. Uh, you didn't know that about uh, 10 now? He has another one? Oh my goodness. So, Elon is, you know, uh, just another guy. He's just another person. He may be really smart, you know, intellectually, technology wise. You know, shooting satellites up and everything. Where does he get his wisdom from? I don't know. I'm not claiming that he's Satan or anything. I'm just saying that, you know, we can call on people like that because we're impressed with their knowledge. And we call on them to, you know, hey, give us some advice. You know, take some advice. You know what? Call on spiritual people. Call on people that are Christians, believers. Because then, at least, hopefully, they will give you godly advice from the word of God. You know, there's lots of things that I don't hear when I read them myself. You know, I, every morning I get up and I read my Bible. I, you know, do different 
devotions and then I read scripture every morning and then someone may come up to me and tell me something that I have read many times before but I didn't get it in the context that they deliver it to me and they say hey you know what this is what Paul said in Philippians oh I, I didn't think of it that way that's why we say that the word of God is living because it's constantly reaching the areas that sometimes haven't been reached for a while and he may use someone to actually reach that area through his word sometimes it's my wife and she knows what to say how you know when to say it because the Lord gives her that wisdom to speak to me and I encourage each one of you when you're ever making a decision whether it's personal or business or so on bring get counselors not like Sergius Paulus had just random people but get good counselors so then there was blindness for Elimus. The nation of Israel is like that right now. They're blind. They don't see clearly. Folks, I have to tell you something in case you don't know, and I don't know all of you here, but I want you to be sure the church has not replaced Israel. That's called replacement theology, and it's not biblical. Because the Jews are going to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Not all of them, but many of them in the last days will return to Jesus, to God, and through Jesus. Zechariah 12.9 says, It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that came against Jerusalem, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. That hasn't happened yet. That's a prophecy that's still yet to happen. But it's on its way. We're getting set up for that prophecy to be fulfilled. But, I'm sorry, we're not going to be here to see it. Oh no, this isn't one of those things where we're all going to be dead. We're all going to be alive at the time, but we're not going to be here. We're going to be taken out of the way, and then the Lord is going to reveal himself to the Jews in those last days. And the good news is that um, we won't be here when that happens, because it's not going to be a pleasant time on the earth. But for the Jews, many of them will have their eyes opened. Um, they're walking around like this Elimus, but they're going to have their eyes open. Verse 12, Then the proconsul believed 
when he had saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So the proconsul believed when he saw what was done. If we stop there, it would have been the difference in the life of this Elimus, bar Jesus, that was blinded. And then he said, oh, look at that. They had the power to blind him, so I believe. But that wouldn't have been enough. You see, and that's how come it's ended with being astonished. See, he wasn't astonished at the fact that Paul could blind this man. He wasn't amazed at that. He was astonished at the fact it was the teaching of the Lord that brought him into this wisdom, this knowledge of who the Lord is. And he was astonished by it. Folks, sometimes we take it very casually, especially if you're raised in religion. We're just like, oh yeah, I was a Christian. What made you a Christian? I was born in the United States. You know, that's not enough to make you a Christian. My parents were Christians. Not enough to make you a Christian. You know, well, I go to church. Yeah, I go to the garage. I'm not a car. You see, it isn't about what you do. It's about what he did. It isn't about what you believe. Even the demons believe and they tremble. They're not going to heaven. So we know what we believe, but do we believe it here and not just here? There are many Christians walking around this world that believe the word of God here, but don't believe it with their heart. Don't allow the Holy Spirit to change who they are. Because I'm, in, I'm the master of my destiny. You know? Well, I was at 19. I was the master of my destiny. And I barely made it to 20. And then Jesus interrupted my life. And, and so when you get to that point where you realize, hold on, I'm not really in charge. You know, it, it's easy then to commit. I, I know that it's you, Jesus. Now, since in all my 41 years of being a Christian, um, I have just been perfect. But my wife was the first one to laugh. You know, obviously that's not true. But the fact is, is that as I grew in my relationship with Jesus, I learned more and more how desperately I need him. And Paul was that way. He, he identified himself as the least of the apostles, you know, the chief of sinners, you know, he, but it progressed from the first time he wrote it. It was just like, I, I'm not worthy. And now it's like, I'm the chief of the sinners. Because he, the closer he got to Jesus, the more he realized how sinful he was. How ugly sin looks. 
And so he decided, you know what? I'm not even worthy to be doing this. That's all of us. We're not worthy. We're made righteous because of what he has done. And so that's the good news. We have a Lord that loves us so much that he will use us to accomplish his work, to accomplish his purposes. That's awesome. We, we can take joy in that. The pro-counsel, when he saw what had been done, he became astonished at the teaching. And, you know, in the modern church, people get astonished for the wrong reasons. They get astonished by, you know, fancy worship teams and, oh man, they have the greatest worship team. They have all these singers and vocalists up front and, and uh, they are just, you know, awesome. They, their harmonies are amazing. And I love a good worship team. There's no doubt about it. I, I love good worship. But worship doesn't come from the song on the stage. It doesn't come from the song on the screen. Worship comes from the heart. We worship from the heart. And so it doesn't matter if there's music or not. It doesn't matter if there are people singing or not. Obviously someone sang the songs we sang today because you can hear them. But it comes from the heart. It, when we worship, it's not about the people or the music, it's about the object of our attention, the one that deserves to be worshipped. And when we worship him that way, the music fades and all is stripped away and we simply come. I know I'm, I'm quoting from a Matt Redman song, but the reality is it's true. When we get to that point of worship, I believe that that's where Sergius Paulus was. We close with the idea that there were teachers and prophets leading the church, but it was the people practicing the gift of the Spirit that were actually the ones doing the work. When the people were working together, they saw the faithfulness of certain people and they laid hands on them and said, okay, the Lord is calling you to do this. You know, go and, and do this. And they laid hands, they prayed, and they fasted. I don't think that they sent them out and then said, okay, what's next? I believe that they continued to pray and fast the whole time that they were on their missionary journey going out there because they're out at the front line. They're out there making a difference by going to places that Paul, he, he was whipped, he was stoned to death and, and lived somehow. Uh, I mean, Paul had this amazing testimony, but he, it didn't stop him. He went on a second missionary journey. He went out again. He didn't say, oh, this is for the birds. I'm, I'm going to go hang out with Peter in Jerusalem. You know, eat some bacon. But no, that isn't what he did. Because when you're in the center of the will of God, all the trials in the world aren't going to shake what you're doing. Aren't going to 
it's not going to take you away from what God has planned. The ministry isn't limited to the leaders in the church. Everyone is called to be a Christian in the church. Everyone is called to represent Christ. And so find out what your ministry is. Pray about it. Ask someone else. You know, that's one of the best ways to find out what your spiritual gift is. Ask someone. Because they will be faithful to tell you. You know, um, your, your ministry is sarcasm. You know, or, or maybe, it's a, maybe it's encouragement. Maybe it's setting up tables and, and cleaning bathrooms. And whatever your ministry is, you know, that's what you should be pursuing. It may be something very simple. Greeting at the door. Cleaning up after a service. It's all gifts. I have guys that are in the sound booth working electronics and stuff like that. Everything doesn't go perfectly, obviously. I'm using this mic right now. But you know what? I have guys that are willing to do whatever needs to be done to make sure these things go off even with a hitch. And so find out what God may want to use you for in the ministry. Excuse me, in the ministry. And remember, it isn't how good um, you are at reaching people for Christ. It's how good he is using you to actually reach them. You just make yourself available and he will use you. That's all you have to do. I pray the Lord will give you clarity and wisdom about those he wants to impact their lives through your life. Amen? Yeah.